If you have a copy of uh, God's Word, if you don't have one, we we'll always ask you to grab one there in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, but we're going to open up the Bible today to Psalm 34. As you're turning there, we're studying God's attributes, who He is and what He's like. And in many of the songs that David wrote, he sings and celebrates the essence of God, the type of God that we worship, the type of God that we praise today, who He is and what He's like. And all the best songs in worship are those songs that are frankly about God as He's revealed Himself. And if you and I are going to know Him, we need to realize that He has revealed Himself in His Word. And because we become like the object that we worship, we need to make sure we're worshiping the right thing, the right one. And so David is going to sing about that and celebrate that. Because these are the songs that honor God, that exalt His name, to magnify Him. And, and here in this particular psalm, in a moment we're going to see, uh, the attribute that we're studying this week and understanding is, is about the goodness of God. Now, let me ask you a question before we get there. Are you hungry this morning? I know some of you didn't get your biscuit in Sunday school class, and uh, you skipped breakfast, and so your stomach might already be turning. But I'm not talking about a physical hunger this morning. I'm talking about a spiritual hunger. I'm talking about the desire in your heart, a craving to know God, experience Him, to take a, a taste and see whether He is who He says He is or not. I mean, so often we'll navigate life. We're hungry for the things uh, uh, to be satisfied in this life. We think that they'll satisfy us. But the truth is, only one thing will satisfy you and satisfy me. Am I hungry to know God, His purpose for your life, His plan for your life? By the way, it may not be what you expected. Let's be honest. In fact, sometimes there's circumstances that you and I experience in life and we go through some particularly trying times where our faith is stretched. And it's just possible that in those moments you might cry out to God and say, why me? You ever been there? I mean, surely it's not just the preacher who's had those experiences. All of us have had trying moments at times where we've asked, listen, everything's going smoothly, flowing along just fine. And then things go south and you wonder, what happened? The psalmist is going to invite you this morning if you've experienced that recently or, or you're wondering why, what's going on? Why is this happening in my life? The psalmist is going to invite you and invite me and, and anyone, listen, to experience God, to take a bite in life and see and taste and see and choose to walk by faith and believe God is good and see the good that he has in life. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Now, if we haven't heard that, then we need to be in church more often. Because if there's anything God's people know, it's that God is good. And He is good. Now, the devil, he doesn't want you to think God is good. He'll do everything he can to help you think that God isn't good. In fact, it started even with the first man and the first woman in the garden when they were there. Remember, he came beguiling and he came to Eve and he said, Did God really say you can't eat from the tree? Of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, what he was doing was he was questioning the restrictions God had given. It was whether they were good and beneficial for the man and the woman or not. I mean, did he really say that? Because, you know what? If you eat it, you'll be like him. And you'll know good and evil. And so Eve, it says, saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and able to make her wise. And so she took the bite and shared it with Adam. And here we are today. All trying to find something that God may say is not good and thinking, no, that'll be good for me. And the reality is, the devil is a tempter. He wants you to question God's goodness. 
In fact, when he came and tempted Jesus, the second Adam, you know what he said to him? He came to him and he challenged him. He tempted him. He challenged him and said, listen, let's see whether or not God really will provide for you. Are you hungry? Turn these stones into, into bread. Hey, maybe, maybe he won't protect you. Throw yourself down from the temple. Let's see if he really, if his angels really protect you. In fact, when he tempted Jesus, he questioned God's purposes for him and his plans. And he even offered him all the kingdoms and all of time if he would just bow down and worship him. A short circuit. You don't have to go to the cross. No, let's just go this way. Just bow down to me. And Jesus said, no, thank you. You see, the devil is a tempter. And oftentimes he is tempting you and I to question God's goodness in our life. Sometimes he'll offer other alternatives and he'll say, this will benefit you. This is good for you. Go ahead and try this. This will give you a good time. This will give you a good feeling, a good laugh, a good moment in life. But in the end, it's not so good because it's contrary to the good God's will. You see, he even wants Sue and I to question our circumstances, particularly the ones that aren't pleasant, the trials you and I face. I mean... When things are going well and all of a sudden something goes bad. Could a good father, could a good God in heaven allow his children to experience something difficult? A hardship? A loss in life? A loss of a life? Either he isn't good or maybe he doesn't have the power to do good. Or maybe he doesn't have the power to work the things together for good in your life. The devil will want you and I to question God in those moments. His goodness. Maybe even, you know what, find fault with him. It's the woman you made, you gave me. Victimhood, right? It's always someone else's fault. You see, if we fail or fall for what the tempter is trying to get us to do, then we're going to fail to enjoy God's blessings, and fail to enjoy the goodness that He can bring forth. Because, see, beloved, He's omnibenevolent, He is always good. And David is going to relate an experience in his life where he can sing a song about that goodness. And the prayer is that you and I, you and I will be able to sing that song today. And be able to celebrate God's goodness. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. I'm going to read from Psalm 34. You know, the problem is we often read through here and we get to verse 8. And, and, and we know that verse well. We, we just quoted it and, and, and said, you know, how good that is. But we don't read the whole song. And know the context and understand the circumstance about which he would say such a thing. And, and it's a critical because I would say, dare say there's some who are going through some trials in life right now. And this song will really speak to you. If you'll listen, if I'll listen, if I hear what God has to say. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And then the verse we read earlier. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Look down to verse 12. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Is that you this morning? Would you like to go through life and see good? Would you like to have the blessed assurance that God's going to work all things together? Anybody here wants that? I do. 
Well, let's, let's pray and ask God to teach us and show us that that's us, Lord. I want that today. Feed our souls and help us to realize that truth. Pray with me. Father in heaven, who seeks life and the goodness of life, which you, the creator, alone can supply? God, may that be the desire of our hearts today. As we humble ourselves before your word, as we incline our ears to hear what you have to say, as we seek and search for your truth and seek and search for you and your will. Father in heaven, I pray that right now, if there's one before me going through a particularly trying time of life, God, may they realize today you are a good God, a good father. And that, Lord, if they will surrender and yield to you in that circumstance and experience, give it to you. God, may you show them and help them to realize how you are working your good purposes for your glory in their life. Spirit of God, speak to us today. Write this law on our heart. Write this word on our heart and on our minds so that we might not fall to the tempter's offer. We might not question who you are, but God, we might order our lives rightly and walk by faith, choosing to believe you are who you say you are in your word. And we ask all of this this morning in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior and coming King. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. God's goodness, his omnibenevolence. Omni, of course, means all. We know the omnipresence, the omniscience, the uh, 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 omnipotence of God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere, but he's also omnibenevolent. He's always good. He's full of goodness. And what that is, is his disposition to be kind and benevolent and full of goodwill towards mankind. He's inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes pleasure in the happiness of his people. We read about that in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, where an almighty God, an eternal being with incredible power, just starts speaking, and as he speaks, things begin to appear. There's a sun, there's a moon, there's stars, there's a land, there's sea, there's creatures who fly through the air, there's creatures who swim or fly through the water. There's a land that is teeming with flora and fauna. And, and there's creatures of all types that, that begin to fill it. And, and then there's a particular creature that's made in God's image. Male and female. And for those in real Linda, there's only two genders. Amen. At the end of every day, you know what God sees? It's good. A good creator makes good things. And he, he made a good creation. And and that omnibenevolent God enters into that created world to have a relationship with mankind until it's broken by sin, that relationship. And still then, he begins doing benevolent things for that creature to bring redemption into his life. He shows kindness and goodwill and, and a desire to, to, to be benevolent in his ways. Now, the cause of God's goodness is not anything in you and me, not anything in the creation. No, no, the cause of God's goodness is himself. He's good. The reason he's good is because he is good. The reason he does good things, blessed things, shows goodwill is because of who he is. We're the beneficiaries. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we merit, that we do to merit God's goodness in our lives. But he's inclined this way. In fact, he takes great pleasure in blessing in fact, that's not surprising when you get over to the book of James. In James chapter 1, what you and I discover about God is, is that any goodness that you and I experience in life, do you know where it originated? It didn't originate with the government, amen? No, 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 no. That goodness originated with, well, 
the supreme governor. Amen? The Father in heaven, the sovereign God. In fact, every good and perfect gift that comes into your life and my life originates with Him. And He rains that down into your life and my life. In fact, I love saying the rain because, you know, the rain is a picture for us. As it falls, it falls on the, the good and the wicked, the righteous and the wicked. And yet that rain is God's good gift to sustain life. Without it, the, the seed wouldn't be able to grow and, and, and bring forth a harvest. We wouldn't have fresh water. It would be limited. And, and yet God supplies that as he cares for his creation. And in fact, what's amazing is all of that goodness that, that comes into your life and my life, it comes from him. And God's desires that we acknowledge that. In fact, do you realize if you and I are going to walk by faith and please Him, as Paul writes in the book of Hebrews, everybody who comes to God must believe two things. One is that He is who He says He is, amen, and that He also is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Generally, when God rewards us, that's giving goodness to us, benevolence to us, good things to us. And the greatest thing he gives us is the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him. Because just the nearness of my God, the psalmist would say, that's my good. You know, it's, in fact, it's amazing. All of God's attributes, they're interwoven because of his essence. And so when we stop and think about God's goodness, because he's infinite and, and, and he's always benevolent, he's, he's immutable, he, he never changes. You and I are never going to wake up and he ceases to be good. Praise God this morning. Because I know sometimes when I experience something bad in life, I might be inclined to say, man, God, you, are you not good? Yes, he is. Always. In fact, he has endless amounts of goodness to share. Ooh, there's enough for you and me and everybody in this sanctuary this morning, all those watching online. For this whole world, God has plenty of goodness. He'll never run out. Isn't that good to know? He can never run out. It's just because it's who he is. And he gives it. And so David's going to sing. Why? Because sometimes we find it easier to affirm the goodness of God when things are going really swell and well. But when life takes a nosedive, that's when we, you and I have or could be tempted to question God's goodness to us and for us. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're, this text is for you. It's actually for all of us. Because this is the only way you and I are going to go through life and rejoice. This is the only way we go through singing blessed assurance. Because I can tell you, sometimes things aren't pleasant and aren't well and aren't good. And I need to know that I know that I know my father, he's a good, good father. David's writing from a circumstance in his life. Uh, he's writing this song and he's given an invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just to believe an attribute about him, but also to experience God's goodness. And what's critical to understand is, is his experience of God's goodness from his place of suffering. In fact, as he's writing this, he'll say down in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But even with our God, he's sovereign over everything and has the power to do whatever he likes. But you know what? People, good people, if there are good people, they still suffer. You see, the victory for you and I is in the next line later in that psalm. The Lord delivers him out of them all. You see, I want that victory today. I want to be able to celebrate a God who is good. I want to be able to celebrate that and rejoice in that when I have a difficult season of life. You stop and think about this. David was anointed by the prophet. 
The prophet Samuel anointed him as king when he was a young boy. Now, he didn't get on the throne right away. He, 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 it took a while, 33 years for him really to, to get to the throne. And as he grew, and even though he was appointed for the throne, there was a king on the throne, Saul, who didn't quite like that. He was chucking spears at him. He, he didn't like them. And so David found himself running from his life, for his life many times. Even, in fact, when he had defeated the enemy of, of God's people, the, the big giant Goliath, the Philistine, after he defeated him, Saul despised him even more. It was David who Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And the people were drawn to David, and, and Saul despised that more and more. He had to run, flee for his life. And it's in this context that we understand over from 1 Samuel chapter 21, David actually fled to the camp of the enemy, to the Philistines in Gath. That's where Goliath was from. Like you really run to the enemy's home base? Who does that? Well, no sooner had he got there that the citizens started mumbling and questioning, hey, you know who that is? Isn't that David? What's he doing here? And as the people started talking and whispering and, and saying all kinds of things, don't you just love whispers? <laughs> yeah. David realized, they're going to kill me. So he pretended to be mad. He began frothing at the mouth and, and acting crazy. And, and the king said, you need to get out of here, get out of here. And so he did. And he later realized later, you know what? It wasn't his cleverness that delivered him. It was God. God delivered him and protected him. As God always does. Well, it's worth singing about when God delivers you. Amen. It's worth celebrating when God saves you. It's, it's worth celebrating God's goodness as he does that. And so this is what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, what I've done in my Bible is there is the word all in this, in, in this particular psalm over and over and over again. I highly recommend you get you a highlighter or a pen and you circle it all the times. Because you know what? We need to know all the time that God is good and worthy of our praise. Through all of our circumstances. I'm going to bless him at all times. His praise shall always or continually be in my mouth. My soul's going to make its boast in the Lord. If i got anything to celebrate and lift up and exalt and magnify, it's God. Because of who he is and what he's done in my life. That's what David is saying. And he's rejoicing in God's goodness. Why? Because God saves. Because God delivers. It's a good reason why to praise him. Amen. In fact, what's amazing is, as he says this, David is saying, you know what, my times, no matter how desperate they may be, no matter how difficult they may be, I realize this, they're in the sovereign God's hands, and I can rejoice, and I can rest, and I can praise him. David says, I called on the Lord, I sought him, and he heard me, and delivered me, here it is again, from all my fears. It wasn't just David. They did too. Other believers, they looked at him uh, and, and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. The picture is they cried out and the glorious God, they, their faces just were sunburnt. We could say it that way. As they looked to the glorious God, they just radiated back because why? God delivered them in their trials. And then this poor man, who is he? We don't know. But let's be honest, when you and I go through difficulties and hardships, sometimes we think we're, we're, at, it's all, we're at the bottom of the bucket. It's us. The reality is someone has it worse than us. That's good for perspective, frankly. Right? This poor man, he cried out to him, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. You see, the angel and Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. 
I mean, this is we're singing, this is we're celebrating, that there's a God who saves, there's a God who keeps, there's a God who satisfies us in difficult times. He is a good God, a good deliverer. It's worth singing, celebrating, and rejoicing. But it's also worth inviting others to experience. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. Now, what's fascinating here in these three verses, David is going to give a contrast. And it's really interesting because he can say, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There's no want to those who fear him. Now, the young lions, they lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You see, this invitation is, is, is a realization that in life, You can either find your satisfaction with God or try to find it apart from God. But if you don't try and find it with God, if you find it, try to find it apart from God, you really never will be satisfied. Why? Well, see, those who who seek the Lord, those who trust in Him, those who reverence Him, there's no want to them. If I'll reverence God and, and, and stand in awe of who He is and realize that just He, He alone is good and He alone is the goodness I need in life, I will find satisfaction in Him. But if I don't look to Him, I'm going to be hungry. In fact, it's, it, what an illustration. He used the young lions, those, the, you know, the, the king of the, of the jungle, right? The fierce lion. Who, who prowls about and always seeking his prey. The strongest of the animals, even they suffer want and hunger. They lack and they have need and they get hungry. And that's the people who seek the, don't seek the Lord. They never find legitimate satisfaction in life. They're, their ravenous feasts never fully satisfy. It does for a moment, for a season perhaps, but never fully. Only God will do that. You see, you can struggle and try to find, attempt to find good apart from God, but you never will. One more substance, one more experience, one more relationship, one more toy, one more hit, one more game. It will never, ever satisfy the moment that they win the Super Bowl, the moment that they swish the free throw and, and win the game or don't win the game, right? Just thinking that we won the trophy, no, it will never satisfy. There will always be something more. But see, there's nothing more than God. That's why He and He alone can satisfy you. That's the seeking that always finds when we cry out to God and we taste and see that He's good by simply looking to Him, reaching out to Him, realizing there's a hand that's already been reaching to me. And it's a gracious hand, a benevolent hand, an omnibenevolent hand, always good, reaching to you and to me, inviting us, come find satisfaction with me. In fact, it's for any and all who will fear him to reverence him. So it's not surprising that David, who has experienced that and tasted and seen for himself that God is a good deliverer and that God is good, would want to teach the next generation that. Amen? By the way, that's a healthy insight for you and for me. Verses 11 through 14, of course, that question we ask in verse 12. Who is the man, anybody here today, that desires life and, 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 and loves many days that you can see good? Anybody want to go through life and experience good? I do. Anybody want to go through life and experience good and know that ultimately, my, at the end, it will be even better? It will be eternally good? Oh, amen. I, I don't want to go through life grumbling, complaining, listen to the world's mindset today that everybody's a victim and you can't experience good because someone robbed you of it. Maybe just because of their skin color, right? 
No, that's not our mindset. Our mindset is informed by the word of God. And when we've tasted and seen and experienced God's deliverance and God's goodness, we want to share that with others and invite them to experience it. And then we have a responsibility to tell the next generation, man, come on, let's go this pathway. Come, little children, come. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Why does he need to teach them the fear of the Lord? Because there's no want in them that fear him. The right position for us is to be reverencing God, to find goodness in life. Rather than toiling and trying to make it on your own, you can trust in the one who made all things by reverencing him. So the most important thing to teach the next generation, by the way, we're responsible. They were responsible to do it according to Deuteronomy 6, verses 2 and 3. When they went into the land, teach your sons and your grandsons to fear the Lord and to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be loving God fears the picture. In fact, that's what David taught his son Solomon, who wanted to teach his sons, Proverbs chapter 1 through 9, right? To fear the Lord. You see, why? It's that reverence of God. It's putting ourselves in that position, learning those things about him, reverencing him, that, that, that the generation coming up won't listen to the tempter's snare to find goodness apart from God or even question God's goodness, but to realize, no, God is good. And the experiences of life, though they may be bad at a moment, he can work them together for good. So instead, choose, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Evil and deceit certainly tied up with that serpent, amen? Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. You see, David's trying to teach, he's trying to instruct, and he's saying, listen, this is what it looks like when you reverence God. If you want to experience, and because you have experienced God's goodness, then you know what you do? You do good. You do good with other men. You seek peace and you pursue it. You, you depart from evil and, and you do the good things. Why? Because God has been good to you. You know, you, you enjoy what God has given, his goodness towards us. But then it goes hand in hand with, now I want to do good. I want to do the, the good things. To please him. And if I don't, then I'm probably outside of his will. And it won't enrich my life. So I reverence him. I fear him. And we fear him. Because you know why? He's a powerful God. Amen? And, and His goodness that He extends to you and to me. Listen, Paul would say this over in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's goodness is extended to mankind that rebels against Him. God's goodness is holding back His judgment. He's long-suffering. He's forbearing. He's not bringing the hammer and smashing us as sinners. Praise God this morning. Amen? He's holding that back. Why does God do that? Why does God do good things for those that even shake their fists at him and let the rain fall on them to sustain their life? Why does God do that? Well, Paul will say in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he does that so that we might repent, that we might turn from sin and self and turn to him and trust him. And that hand is reaching, reaching to all of us. And it's a powerful hand. You see, God's goodness, His omnibenevolence, goes along with His omnipotence. You see, if God wasn't good, we wouldn't ask anything of Him. But He is, so we do. And if He wasn't all-powerful, He wouldn't be able to give it, would He? But He is, and He can. In fact, this is beautiful in uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when he gives us and paints that beautiful picture of Aslan. If you've never read it, you should read it. Forget the movie, just read the books, amen? They're more powerful. But anyways, it's funny. Timnus comes to Lucy, and, and he's talking to her, and they're talking about Aslan, and, and that they should fear him because he is a mighty lion. But he's good. 
Praise God, he's good. You see, if he wasn't good, we wouldn't ask, and we wouldn't put our faith and our trust in him. It's the same thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, listen, hey, you men, how many of you, listen, being evil, when our son comes and asks us for um, some bread, do we give him a stone? might look like a roll. One of them tan river stones. Break your teeth. No, you don't do that. If your son asks you for a fish, you don't give him a snake? No. If we, being evil, give good gifts to our children, how much more does the Father in heaven give good gifts to his? So ask, seek, knock, cry out to him. He, he is a benevolent God. He, 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 but flee, fear him too. Turn away from evil. Guard your tongue. All that God is doing for you and for me is, is out of his benevolence of who he is. And he wants to bless us. But beloved, he also, he can't bless iniquity. So turn from that pathway and, and let to have a fruit of a, of a circumcised heart that loves him and him alone. Now here's the amazing part. We're working down through the psalm and rarely do we even get to this section of the psalm. Which is really enlightening in the context of what David is experiencing and what he's already said. But, but we teach others about God's goodness because we can find goodness in difficult times. And that's what he concludes with. And maybe you need to hear this today. You see, the eyes of the Lord, verse 15, are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cries out and the, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. There's that all again. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and such as have a contrite, save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You see, here's the truth. God never promised that it would be easy. God never promised that we wouldn't have difficulties. Many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. The question is, what do we do when we go through those experiences? You see, you have a choice in those moments. And the picture is here. It's the face of God and what you and I do in those difficulties. Do I look to him? Because you see, the eye of the Lord, the ear of the Lord, God's eyes are on your circumstances. He sees what's going on. He's not, listen, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees and knows what you and I are experiencing. It's not a surprise to him. He's known this because he's eternal from the foundation of the world. Wow, what an awesome God. Amen? He sees all of that. He knows and he hears your cry. Even when you don't think there's no response. Does he hear me? Yes, he does. He hears us. Now, as those who fear him and reverence him, we look to him. We fix our eyes on him. We know he's looking back at us. We know he's hearing what we say. But for the wicked, God's face is even against them. Where do you want to be in life? I want him looking upon me. Amen. I want his ear attended to my cry. I want his eyes looking upon my... I don't want his face against me. When I'm going through those trials, sometimes they shake their fists and they cry out to God, why is this happening in my... No, 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 no. God, you know. God, you see. God, you're aware. God, you know the... Listen, you don't just know what's happening. You know the motives of why this is happening. You know why people are choosing to do the things they do. I don't understand. I can't make sense of it. But God, you know. 
And since my life is in your hands, you hear my cry. I cry out to you. And the beautiful thing is here, I, I, I drew a, a line here from verse 15, and I drew it back up to verse 5. Because what it says there is, is, is they looked to him, and they were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. I mean, think I find that fascinating. Our faces, those who fear God, looking to him, crying out to him. Knowing that he knows and he sees all things. Looking earnestly, pleading at times. And his face is looking back. And their face is radiated. Why? Do you realize sometimes when you and I go through a trial and we walk and it's not particularly good. As we look unto our Lord and we trust in him and we rest in him. Our faces will radiate a testimony to others around us of who he is and what he's like. And that's what we long for. That's what we desire. And the Lord, the righteous cry out and praise God, verse 17, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. You're saying to me, Pastor Chris, could he hurry up with that deliverance? Hello? Amen? Honest? Yeah, sometimes, man, I want to get out of it quick. We build a little, get ourselves in a little sticky wicket and how do we get out of it? You know? The vice isn't always fun when you're squeezed, is it? But it reveals really what's in our heart, what comes out in those moments. In fact, what we know from the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters, oftentimes he'll talk about the the trials that we go through are, are producing in us. They're refining us. They're purifying. They're maturing our faith. James would talk about it as well. That 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 it, you know he he's 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 making our faith genuine, as precious as gold. And he allows those circumstances. He's totally aware of them, y'all. Don't be surprised. He's not. He's in total control of them. He has all the power. It's all in his hands. And what do we know from Genesis 1? Those hands that made all things and put it all together and just spoke it. Poof, there it is. They're good. They are so good. The righteous knows this. They cry out and God delivers them. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Oh God, may we rend our hearts and not our garments. And recognize we need you in these moments. As I said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. You say, Pastor Chris, help me to get some understanding of this. How does God really see and know and feel and understand what I'm going? How can he empathize with me? It's this verse right here, verse 20. You got to weave Jesus in here somewhere. Oh, the psalmist does. In fact, the New Testament writers allude to this verse. He guards all his bones, not one of them. Is broken. Now, David, I don't think they were chucking rocks at him. Uh, maybe um, having some hardships, but but David didn't appear to have a cast or anything. He's not talking about David. He's talking about the son of David, Jesus, at Calvary. You see. When Jesus was the Passover lamb offered for you and for me, when he hung on that cross, when he died, what typically happened when someone died on a cross is they would go and they would break their legs so that they couldn't push up and and open up their lungs and get air. And they would die more quickly because their legs were broken and they couldn't push up and and open up the space for the air to come in and their lungs would fill uh, with fluids. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And so what they do, the, 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 the Romans looked at him and said, is that what they hear? Stick your, stick your spear in his side. Fluid poured out. You see, the Passover lamb is not broken. It's roasted by fire. And this Passover lamb couldn't have a broken bone. He can count all his bones. By the way, if I break, I've broken my bones many times. Uh, when you break one, it becomes two. 
or more if it's really broken. He can count all the bones. This is the cross. You see, listen to this. When he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that moment, which wasn't exactly pleasant, the wrath of God is being put upon the lamb, the sacrifice for you and for me. And he's doing that so that we can experience the goodness of God. Wow, what a God. Blessed assurance, he's mine. Praise the Lord. And he does that for us. And now that opens up all the goodness that God has for you and for me. Everything else now is just icing on the cake. Amen. Amen. And eternity still awaits us. In the blessed presence of a good, good God. You see, you have a choice. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servants And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. You see, I may not experience all of God's goodness that he intends for me here and now and be delivered right now, but ultimately I will. That's the assurance that we have. Amen? Hey, the best thing that can happen to us is that the Lord call us home. But while we're here and while we have breath, then to live is Christ. And to testify of these things. And we've experienced the goodness of God. It's to experience it and to share it with others. Oh, you can taste. You can take a bite for yourself. You can see Paul and Peter do that. Paul in Hebrews chapter 6. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. They use this same verse from from, from verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or since you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've experienced this because of this. Now grow in your maturity. Now become all that God intended you to believe. Believe that he's able to continue to cause things to work together for good for you. Paul would say that in Romans 8, 28. You see, God is extending this goodness to you today. And maybe it's the case, you know what, you came in and you've had not such a good week because of a not such good experience or circumstance, a trial we call them. That trial is to refine your faith and mine. And even in the midst of it, God is still good. And beloved, he can take those circumstances of what's happening in your life and he can work it together for good. You know what, that's for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Is that you this morning? You see, to to be in that position, you have to come to that point where you realize God's been reaching to you with goodness and his desire is that you and I repent and turn to him and cry out for his mercy and discover he and he alone will satisfy Maybe, you know what, we've been grumbling and complaining, which is really, if, if God's been good to us, how could we grumble and complain, right? Discontentment in life. I mean, this culture just breeds it, right? Oh, you, you, they, they've done you wrong. They, they, you've, you, you're a victim. Uh, you, you know, that, that privilege thing is all against you. Man, it, it, it spreads rapidly, doesn't it? It's influential. That shouldn't be in the believer's mindset, though. You and I shouldn't think like that. We think biblically. We think with the, with, with the light of God's word. And we realize, no, my God's good. And even if my circumstances aren't good at the moment, I know he has a plan and he has a purpose. And I choose to believe. God reward my faith as I trust you. Maybe see so you get on the altar and just pray. God, I, I just want to see you work good in my life. Listen, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just as James did, he went through the baptismal waters. There he testified of God's goodness towards him, dying on a cross to pay the penalty for his sin. And now, 
having the nearness of his God as his good. Man, there's a shepherd. When he's yours, you shall not want. He'll supply. You won't lack any good thing. And he's a good, good father. Is he yours today? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And the invitation is now open to you to experience God's goodness, his mercy, his grace. All possible because of what Jesus Christ has done.